This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Hello and welcome to Primal Screen, a Triple R film criticism show and podcast. I'm your host, Paul Anthony Nelson, and joining me in the studio are Sally Christie. Hello. And Flick Ford. Hello. We're not. Uh, we're not. Uh, isol- we're not in isolation yet. We're not reenacting. <laughs> it's a very, very different um, world to one week ago when we were here. It really is. <laughs> it's crazy. W- weeks crazy. a long time in football and pandemics. Yes. <laughs> apparently, um, so we're not quite uh, inter- uh, reenacting the plot of Steven Soderbergh's. You okay there? Yep. <laughs> Steven Soderbergh's Contagion just yet, although I do have Jarlow-style gloves on, so there's that. I think I'm going to get a photo of that at some point, just yep. so the listeners can enjoy. It's really, really, people can't see Paul, but it really works well with his outfit too. It's a whole <laughs> kind of package. It's really good. It's looking a bit Dexter, isn't it, actually, yes. now that I think about yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay, bit... go up on the social media later. Yeah, Paul, uh, Dexter Morgan, happy serial killer. <laughs> We'll enter the transformational sphere, sorry, the dressing room, at a mysterious department store with a killer red dress with Peter Strickland's in fabric. We'll go on the lamb with Daniel Kaluuya and Jodie Turner-Smith in Melina Matsukas's Queen and Slim. And we welcome our very first retro title for the year for Primal Screen as we take a trip back to 2002 to reinvent ourselves with Samantha Morton in Lynn Ramsey's hidden classic, Morven Keller. But first... It's time for the Primal Screen News Bulletin for the week. As lockdowns around the globe force cinemas and industry to close, releases of a raft of Hollywood blockbusters from Milan to A Quiet Place Part 2 to Fast and Furious 9 have been delayed to later in the year to next American... For anywhere from later in the year to next American summer to the point where all new releases in the US have been postponed to at least April 10th. An anxiety reflected in this weekend's North American box office, which resulted in the lowest combined take for the top 10 films of the week since 1995. Wow. Far out. Now, you want to know something? This is a a little fun trivia tidbit. So what do you think, what film do you think topped the US box office that weekend in 1995, the last time grosses were so low? Oh, gosh. Showgirls. (laughs) Was it Showgirls? Showgirls, Flick. Oh, God, I'm trying to think of what came out that year. <laughs> Do you have any, like, clues? Can you give us no. the genre? Um, <laughs> the film was Outbreak. Oh, oh no. <laughs> yeah. You know, we've had the same, though. People have been loving, um, oh, what's the film? Contagion. Uh, Contagion. Yeah. It's gone off the charts. Uh, it's, it's like <laughs> literally the last thing I want to watch <laughs> yeah, right yeah. now. Um, but yeah, Outbreak was the number one mm. film the last time box office was this low. Should have which... been sh- it should have been Showgirls. <laughs> should have been. You're so optimistic as yeah. well, Sally. Except, it's like, yeah. except, except you're assuming that Showgirls ever topped the box office. Yeah, I know, right. Which is the first mistake. Um, the shock diagnosis of Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson with coronavirus has forced the Gold Coast-based production of Baz Luhrmann's untitled Elvis biopic, in which Hanks was due to play the singer's manager, Colonel Tom Parker, to shut down for the time being. Um, something that happened, I 
Before all this, uh, after the runaway success of our very own Lee Winnell's modern-day update of The Invisible Man, Blumhouse and Universal have set their sights on the next Universal monster to reinvent, tapping Karan Kasama, the director behind Destroyer, The Invitation, and Jennifer's Body, to direct a modern-day take on Dracula, which rumours say might be female-led. I'm really excited about this. This is the first... um female directed film that they've had released from Bloomhouse. Are you serious? Yeah. So there has been... Interesting you say released. Yes. <laughs> there has been one that was made and um, had poor audience response and wasn't released. What so, is that? Um, I'll, I'll find out. That's find fascinating. Out so, yeah, they so, buried it. Yeah, so it's been buried. So I know that there was a whole thing... That, was it last year? Uh, some criticism towards Blumhouse with saying that they've never had a female director. So this is... If this gets released, which I'm assuming it will, yeah, I'm excited current, about it. She's she's, she's great. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there has been one previously made, but was buried. Interesting. Yeah. I am fascinated by this. We should have a news update at the end. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> research. Uh, uh, lost a couple of people during the week. Um, French actor and director. Tony Marshall, um, who was most notable for winning three Cesar Awards for writing, producing, and directing 1999's Venus Beauty Institute. And she was also an actor in a variety of uh, Jacques Demy films. And we also lost Gary B. Kibbe, who was a frequent cinematographer for John Carpenter mm. throughout the 80s and 90s. He shot Prince of Darkness, They Live, and uh, In the Mouth of Madness, Village of the Damned, Escape from L.A., Vampires, and Ghosts of Mars. So... It was pretty after Dean Cundy left, he pretty much became Carpenter cinematographer. So we lost them during the week. A rare spot of good news this week. I mean, what does it say about the Times? Yeah, the, even the good news is pretty dark. But <laughs> Harvey Weinstein, the former co-head of Miramax Films and the Weinstein Company, was finally sentenced to 23 years in prison, 20 years for a first-degree first criminal sex act and three years for third-degree rape to run consecutively, meaning that bar, uh, barring parole, the 67-year-old disgraced mogul will be behind bars until he's 90 in what is a long-delayed victory for his many victims and a landmark event in the court's treatment of cases involving sexual abuse against women by powerful men. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I was very happy to hear about that. I've been yep. following it on the Catch and Kill podcast, so I was very... Yeah. Good news. There are a lot it of people sort of saying, oh, you know, when he, when he was uh, sentenced or what, like, oh, before this happened, sort of, you mm. know, when they had the hearing and everything, he was found guilty. People were saying, oh, you know, why isn't there more celebration from, you know, people on this? And it's like, I want to see the sentence first. I yeah, wanna, yeah, exactly. I, I want to exactly. know the nail is yep. in the coffin mm-hmm. before I – nail's in the yep. coffin. We can all – Yes. We can all breathe. But now let's see what's on at the movies. The dress is your image onto what you project through an illusion. I'm just going on a date. In Fabric is the fourth narrative feature film directed by Peter Strickland. (laughs) This spins a ghost story or two against the backdrop of a busy winter sales period at the mysterious Dentley and Soper's department store, following the life of a cursed dress as it passes from person to person with devastating and other times weirdly hilarious consequences. Sally... Did this movie put you in a transformational sphere or was it a mere echo in the annals of the sphere of retail? 
definitely put me in a transformational sphere. I um, saw this at MIF last year and I did speak briefly on the show about it then. So it has been quite a few months since um, I have watched it in fabric, but it left a big impression on me. I don't think there is anything not to like about this film. Um it really shows that Peter Strickland is a master across many different genres. Uh, it was what I felt. I was really surprised by this film. It came. It's really funny, and I didn't expect that. Yeah, it's um, hilarious. There's some really uh, excellent moments with Julian Barrett, and I forget who else, who's his kind of sidekick in there. Steve Orr. Yeah, which mm. is just, they're, they're so, so funny. So this really caught me off guard in that I was expecting to go into kind of, um, I guess, an Argento Giallo piece, and it definitely has aspects of that, but... It's so much more and it's not just paying homage to that, even though, you know, it has a great soundtrack. But, yeah, like I said, there's nothing not to like about this film. It's surprising in more ways than one, not it just being funny, but really good comedic performances as well. And, a couple, you know, different kinds of comedy. There's some, yeah, different paces going throughout this film, which I found really interesting. But I highly, highly recommend this movie. Absolutely loved it. Mm, the, the pace is unusual. Mm. I think that was one of the things that stood out to me and I don't want to give away any spoilers because I highly recommend everyone to go out and watch this or possibly wait until they can stay at home and watch it. Um, and this isn't a spoiler, but it's got a very unbalanced narrative and yes. I don't mean that in a negative way, which I normally would be yeah. bit, like complaining about. But no, it's, it's, it's amazingly um, – it's kind of jarring actually the way in which they decide to – bring in characters mm. uh, and I just loved this film so much. I, I was already excited to see it. I had wanted to see it at MIF and I, I think it was a clash or something. I didn't get to see yep. it then so I was really thrilled uh, to catch it. Uh, I actually went and saw it last night. Uh, amazing. Um, there is, um, there's a real sensuality to it and the horror mm. – Oh, the horror of this object, this central object, which is this dress, the ambassadorial function dress in <laughs> artery red. Um, it's, it's amazing. It's so stylish. Um, it's just iconic, honestly. And the sound is amazing. Yeah. They, they really – and, I mean, Strickland is um, – Barbarian Sound Studio is one of my favourite films and as Duke of Burgundy. And it kind of feels like a weird mash of the two films. Mm. Like it's got the horror of Barbarian Sound Studio, which is, um, you know, this obsession of this film being made and you always hear it but you never actually see this film. Mm. And then Duke of Burgundy is all about tactility and mm. sensuality. Mm. And this film has elements of it but it also is underscored by – this real boredom of like clerical white collar jobs. And mm-hmm. I actually was thinking a little bit about The Office while watching this, <laughs> like some of the humour from, you know, the British sitcom The Office and the way in which these discussions and policing of how a worker spends their time. Mm. And I love how there's a phrase, and the language in this film is amazing. Like there were so many quotes that I was oh, writing there. Yeah, like I said, it's, yeah. it's been a little while since I saw yeah. it. But, yeah, there's some really amazing lines. <laughs> Every, everything like, that comes out of the mouth of yeah. uh, Miss <laughs> Luckmore, who oh, is, yeah. so who cool. is um, played by Fatima Muhammad, everything that comes out of her mouth is Fascinating. Oh, it's wonderful. Yeah. There's a line where she's like, because it's always just slightly off, <laughs> yeah. and she just says, "You can destroy two birds with one stone." <laughs> and another time when um, uh, a lunch break is referred to as feeding time, and I just, I don't know. There's so much to love in this film. It's so unusual. It's kind of disturbing in a lot of it, and there's a there's sort of a strange uh, celebration of 
these really banal jobs, which I found as someone who has worked <laughs> my fair share of banal jobs, just like hilarious. But also I loved that there was a lot of horror in that. Mm. Um, and I, there were genuine moments where I was quite scared. I know I'm the easily scared <laughs> out of the three of us, but uh, yeah, I think it's, it's amazing. It's a masterpiece. Yeah, it is. It's, um, it's, it's just so singular. It's deep. What we haven't really mentioned, although our listeners might have gotten uh, the impression, we're talking about the Peter Strickland's film In Fabric. It's so damned weird. Yeah. <laughs> it is so bizarre. Like, yeah. I saw it for the second... I saw it at MIF as well, mm-hmm. Sal, and I saw it for the second time uh, last night. I think I understood it less <laughs> than when I saw it the first time. But... It's so it's just so ravishing to the eye and ear. Um, yeah, that sensuality is off off the hook, and it takes that that sort of um, the sensuality he nailed with um, Duke of Burgundy. I think you're right. I think it does feel like a, mm. a sort of a combination of those two aesthetics of his previous two films. Lots of homages here. Like it, it definitely resembles something between a '70s Jarlo film mm-hmm. and um, BBC television. Of the yeah, 70s. yeah, and it's. I think the thing that is obviously like, people listening can see that we probably all really like this mm. film. It was so exciting because it just it really feels like complete, like it's an original. Yes, yeah, yes. it feels yeah. so just, fresh and like I have genuinely never seen anything like yeah. this. Movie. Yeah, I was thinking the opening credits as well. The opening credits are so unusual. They're like you great. see clips or stills. Of the film you're about to watch. It's like a Mission like, Impossible yeah. opening credit sequence. Yeah, it's like I you don't see... think that was the comparison I was going to make. <laughs> the scenes and then freeze frame on, yeah. And he's picked really interesting and always frames with people who are in anguish yeah. <laughs> as well. Or uh, extreme pleasure sometimes. Yes, <laughs> uh, different kind of anguish. Um, it's But there's something to this film though. And it's interesting, you hooked on the whole sort of the thing uh, flick, uh, hooked on the thing with the banal jobs and the, that sort of the you know the horror in a, a you know inherent in things like performance reviews and mm. drab day and and micromanagement. For me, this all the stuff that happens at the store mm. feels to me like I think this is this film is the Doctor Strange love of consumerism. Mm. I think there is absolutely so much satire to do with consumerism. Like everything, all of those sort of, you know, addresses everything you bring to it and all that. Like all this yeah. sort of, like it's all this sort of consumerist tenant. Like this is what this stuff is meant to do for you. And it's almost like this: these people in this store, they they seem to be satanic in nature, but what they seem to... To um to worship their Satanist commerce. Yeah, mm. that's such a good point. And it's it's all about this sort of reverence of the of the mannequins and of the you know and and there's one particularly interesting <laughs> scene with the mannequin. Oh, uh, they um yeah I'm <laughs> not gonna no spoilers no spoil I'm not gonna spoil that. Also the ad the I love the yeah, ad yeah so recurring ad. yeah the mm. recurring hypnotic ad and then it goes a bit crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I saw um at. At MIF, Peter Strickland was here for that, and I saw him, I went to the, his in conversation. Oh, that would have been um, so good. Which Alexandra Hell Nicholas hosted. It was, it was fantastic. Mm. But he was talking about when he was a young boy and he would go into these, um, these big, you know, chain stores and, oh, what is it? Carl, maybe you can help me out. Yeah. Carl, who is um, paneling the show, it's. The pneumatic mm. tubes, yes. Yeah, yeah. pneumatic what tubes. Are they, yes, the pneumatic tubes. Yeah. So he, Peter Strickland was saying, as a as a young boy, he'd go into these um, shop stores in the UK, and um, 
he just fantasized about where they would go. He didn't ah, understand yeah, what happened when you put money in those tubes. So this is this whole big thing kind of grew from that wondering what happened. And, yeah, I always yeah. find those things fascinating because you see it in I've films like them, Hugo, really. you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Scorsese Brazil. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mm. And I, I think they're a wonderful um, artifact. <laughs> yeah. I've never been in a store that has I've seen them. No, but, me either. Um, and he said, yeah, that's yeah. what kind of got this ball rolling, was mm. his fascination with those since he was a child. And I bet he's probably equally fascinated with dumb waiters. Yes. Because there's mm. a dumb waiter in this too, which is equally fascinating, like a little thing that transports mm-hmm. you to all around. Mm. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's a fascinating... Um, there's so many levels, though. There's so many ways to unpack this film, like whether you think of it as a satire on consumerism or a, you know, or a takedown. But then there's, whole, there's, a, there's a whole Oedipal subplot with yeah. Marie, uh, Marianne Jean-Baptiste and her oh, son. she's wonderful, and, isn't she? And, Sheila. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. Gwen, uh, Game of Thrones is Gwendolyn yes. Christie as the her. son's... Um, sort of uh, snooty, may or may not be a dom um, <laughs> girlfriend. Um, yeah, it's this there's is, yeah. a lot of levels here. And even on that whole thing of sub and dom, the gameplay and actual games in the film yes. pop up a lot and that way of, of power over someone and whether or not you decide to let them have it. Yes. <laughs> it's kind mm. of really fascinating. So, I feel like we just unpacked this film for the entire hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and added to that. And then, you know, you've got the when the film sort of changes tack in the second half because it is a bit like an anthology. It's like a mm. it's like a bifurcated anthology. Well, apparently he wanted it initially to be six different characters. Oh, wow. Know? Yeah. I want to see that. Yeah. yeah. That was the original concept, yeah, I, I think. I, I'd, I'd watch that. And mm. the whole idea of, you know, uh, recounting um, uh, the, the fixing... Um, Oh, the washing machine? Yes, fixing oh, washing ASMR. machines. Yeah, dra- <laughs> like sort of has this ASMR effect yeah. on people where they begin to bliss out. And- <laughs> I love how they're, I don't think this is a spoiler, but just trying to prompt the yes. washing machine repairman to <laughs> say the line. It. I love that because it almost came a little bit across like sexual harassment yes. in the workplace. <laughs> but it's for him just to go through washing machines. It's in a job interview as well. It's like, <laughs> come on, could you just... Give us a few directions. <laughs> yeah, between Steve Bar- um, Julian Barrett and Steve Oram as the managers, the terrific Hayley Squires from I, Daniel Blake, and a film that comes out next week called um, uh, Happy New Year, Colin Bursted. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, she's in both of those films. She's terrific That's in this right. as well. That's right. That's where I saw her. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah and, of course, Marianne Jean-Baptiste, mm. who I've not seen that much since. I'm sure she's done a ton of English TV or something, but uh, she yeah. was in Secrets and Lies, yeah. the Mike Lee film. Yeah, just all round um, terrific stuff. But yeah, this is such a fun. But that's the thing—you can either get into it and unpack all its levels, or you could just sit there and let it hit you on an absurdist, <laughs> sensual level, and still get so much out of it. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so, In Fabric is now screening at selected independent cinemas. You are listening to Primal Screen on Three Triple R. Independent Melbourne Radio Three Triple R. Uh, you are listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Sally Christie, Flick Ford, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. Now, grab your popcorn and drink, everybody, because we're going back to the movies. Get on the ground! Keep your hands where I can see Why is he under arrest? What is your badge number? Chill! Just chill! I'm reaching for my cell phone! Queen and Slim is the debut feature film from Grammy Award-winning music video director Melina Matsukas. 
in which we meet an African-American man and woman, played by Daniel Kaluuya and Jodie Turner-Smith, who, after a, forgettable, uh, after a forgettable first date together, are pulled over by a white police officer for a minor, minor traffic infraction. The situation quickly escalates as the man, fearing for his life, kills the cop in self-defence, forcing uh, him and the woman to go on the run. But the incident is captured on video and quickly goes viral, and the couple unwittingly become a symbol of trauma, terror, grief, and pain for African-American people across America. Flick. Did you find this queen to be a king or merely slim pickings? <laughs> That's a good one. That good. one I'm actually good. proud That's of. A good you one. do look very pleased with yeah. yourself. <laughs> um, so I was um, I was at the subscriber screening for this last Tuesday um, for yeah triple R subscriber screening. I I um, I was already really excited to see this film. So uh, it did. It was kind of interesting. I had I started to look through I was sort of doing a bit of a research a bit of research on it before watching it which I never usually do I usually wait till I've seen it just so then I can think back on it um but it was interesting because a lot of um, quite negative reviews came up initially. Um, not entirely negative, but just some things that they picked out were um, some reviewers were talking about how they were frustrated with jo- Jodie Turner-Smith being quite wooden, um, that there was style over substance. And th- so it's kind of like that was the headspace I was in when I was watching yeah, it. Right. And that balanced out with all of the hype surrounding it. Because, mm. I mean, I know so many people who are very keen to see this film. I really enjoyed it. I think that a lot of those criticisms are incorrect and unfounded. Um, Jodie Turner-Smith, her character itself, I think it's a misunderstanding of the character to say that the acting is wooden because she's a very kind of reserved and resilient character. And you do see moments of vulnerability with her, but a lot of how she's had to work survive in the, her mm. world is through being tough and there's a there's a wonderful line that slim says to her at one point he says um why do black people always feel the need to be excellent why can't yes. we just be ourselves mm. and i thought that was really powerful and that way in which there is um just acknowledging the, the, the different experiences of, of going through the world and the way in which like that um that interaction with the police officer, mm. how that is can, is such a um, difficult uh, and dangerous space. Mm. And statistically, that is, you know, that unfortunately a lot of those, um, a lot of police brutality against people of colour happens every day, mm. um, both here and in the US. So, um, And for equally, like, spurious reasons as yeah, in this. Like, yeah. Just, yeah. So I... I I feel like when I watched it, I I really connected with this. I um I heard that Lena Waithe, who uh, is from uh, Aziz Ansari's, uh, what is it called? Master of None. Master of None. Thank you. Um, she, she's the writer behind this, and she was kind of ba- basing the two characters on Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, which I think is such really? a wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So I just thought I knew that, but going into it, so I was really like, oh wow, I, that's how I'm now seeing it, um, and I thought that was wonderful. I think there's so much in this, and. Melina Matsukas as well has this really political grounding. She is mainly from music videos and has done a lot of work with Rihanna and Beyonce, but she has this very um, political base and she talks a lot about the literary influence she she had from her parents who she describes as freedom fighters. So Mm. I found that this film just had so much for me to dig into. I can understand some of the complaints around like style over substance, but I kind of just sunk into it. It's beautiful. Like it's Mm. a beautiful film. It is like a video clip, but I don't think that's a negative thing. I I think that it is all about presenting these characters and their story in this really romanticised way. It is like a Bonnie 
and Clyde or Thelma and Louise kind of road mm. movie. It has got a lot of Western film sensibilities mm. and, and it's a road movie. Like I, I, I think that it is aware of all of those Absolutely. references and pop culture references. And mm. iconography is a huge part of how they create this um, mystery and hero worship around the two characters mm. and how people then engage with that in like this other sub characters who engage with it on a political level. So I I really enjoyed this film. I'm going to be I'm interested to see how other people what other people's take might be because I think there's um a lot of different readings on this film. Um mm. just a quick note though. Um the soundtrack to this is fantastic. <laughs> it has Lauren Hill has released her first new song in six years called Guarding the Gates. I was so happy about that. I love Lauren Hill. And uh, it features heaps of really great performers, um, Fela Kuti and Vince Staples. So, yeah, highly I recommend listening to I feel to bad because it's the only film tonight we're not playing a song from. Because well, we've got two Paul. songs. And- when um, I was watching... Um, more than colour last night. Mm. I was like, how on earth is Paul going to pick music I know, this week? I know, there's so many. This, <laughs> more, every, the entire soundtrack of More than yeah, Colour could every, be. Every, yeah. every film yeah. has a really, really good soundtrack. Um, I completely agree with all of your points, Flick. I went into watching Queen and Slim. I'd seen the trailer. I was really looking forward to seeing it. Had a really interesting experience watching mm. it. I was mm. the only person in the cinema um, on a Saturday for a film in its opening week. Wow. Uh, I think that's going to be maybe increasingly yeah, what we yeah. see. So, mm. which was, yeah, interesting. Like, mm. normally that's kind of a, a boon, but it was, yeah, uh, kind of a little bit confronting. So, yeah, I, I really loved the – for me, this film was watching their relationship unfold. Mm. Yeah. That's what I loved the most about this. There's these kind of brief moments of tenderness that are so beautiful that it would just leave me sitting there with a smile on my face (laughs) um, that I just so enjoyed about this film. Uh, It does look like a music video and it is highly stylized, but I'm a total sucker for that kind of thing. We were talking a little bit about um, that with Honey Boy, I think Mm, a couple of weeks ago, Flick, and you were saying that that kind of put you off with Honey Boy. But, yeah, anything that looks like a big, long music video, I'm all for. Yeah, Um, Yeah, totally love it. And, yeah, you've kind of just got to sink into, you know, her snakeskin boots and her wrong costume choices for being on the (laughs) lamb. Like, I I wouldn't pick heels, but, you know, it's fine. That was a bizarre array of clothes that she picked to go on the run in. No, I love that moment, though, because it fits into the narrative. It fits into the setup, And it's kind of a wonderful – there's a lot of humour in it about that scene because of where they're at. Mm. And especially his track. Suit. I was into the tracksuit. I loved the tracksuit. I loved it. And I was, I, yeah, like I said, I, I read things about it afterwards, but there was a lot of people saying that there was no chemistry between oh, the two. They missed really it. Really disagree. Yeah. This is yeah. my, my favorite sex scene of the year so far. Yeah. Yep. On my... I, yeah, I second that. And, that also and it's I... an actual sex scene. Like, you know what I mean? Like, in a lot of films these days, like, because. I've read a lot of articles recently about the dearth of sex scenes in modern yeah. cinema. It's like we've become puritanical and we've we, taken we that have. out. This yep. is like an honest-to-goodness 80s, yeah, that's what 90s, I thought 90s too. sex yeah. scene. Yeah. 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 And also their chemistry was palpable. Like I love that the film opens. It's a, meant to be a love story. It opens with the most awkward mm. and yeah. antagonistic date I've ever seen but, on screen. Oh, hang on a minute. <laughs> oh, well, maybe not ever. Well, but. well, maybe since In Fabric, <laughs> the date she goes on with Adonis, <gasps> oh, which is so the worst painful. date. Like, they're I both, don't know. Awful day. We should yeah. have. We should have a. We should put a poll up on our Facebook of which yeah. is the the worst date in cinema out of these two films. But yeah, the, the way that the, their 
relationship evolves over the movie, I found completely breathtaking. And they're I, such opposites yeah, as well. Yeah, I was really taken with this, mm. like really, really taken with it. There's, yeah, again, a lot to like about this movie as well. I wanted to love it. I mm. just ended up liking it. It was like mm. me with Dark Water. Yeah, mm. I, I, I liked yeah. this film. I, I loved – and that's the thing. It's funny. The, all the criticisms you've mentioned – I completely agree with you. Are unfounded. I thought yep. Jodie Turner Smith was terrific. I totally got. I totally was totally convinced by her and her character. And she comes from a modelling background. Mm. Yeah, which was really good. Is this, in this her first film? It's her my first big screen. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. Um, a big screen. Debut. And Daniel Kaluuya is amazing. I yeah. love him and whatever he's in. Mm. Um, he's one of my favourite actors going around at he's the moment. He's so charismatic, isn't he? He, he is. really is. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have a really. <laughs> we got time. I'm going to go on a sidebar. I have a really <laughs> weird thing with Daniel Kaluuya because I've always there's a part of me that's always wanted to make a Mission Impossible movie because it's like <laughs> my favourite action franchise, <laughs> and I love the concept of you know how there's always the really cool agent at the start of the movie who gets killed early, like whether it's Josh Holloway in Ghost Protocol or it's uh, Kerry Russell in MI3 uh-huh. or it's Emilio Estevez and Kristen Scott Thomas in the original. Daniel Kaluuya would be my guy. <laughs> I want him to be the super cool, like the guy who looks like he could head a Mission Impossible team who gets. <laughs> <laughs> Killed surprisingly early. I, I yeah, I just love him. That's the second and time you've brought up Mission Impossible. I know, I know, right? What is Maybe going we on? should Got do one, it for yeah. a retro. <laughs> just do a show, Max Headroom on all six yeah. Mission Impossible movies. Um, end of sidebar. But yeah, I, I thought their chemistry was great. I loved the style of the movie. I thought it was, looked and sounded beautiful. My complaint, like I guess where I and I think. I think the first half hour is so gripping and so, like, ultimately quite terrifying. Mm-hmm. The the film then, there's a lot of air in the film. Like, the film is 132 minutes. Yeah, it, which it, it is long. Which seemed long. a bit yep. indulgently long I, by the time it got yeah. to the end of it. Because it does, there's a lot of sidebars and there's a lot of times when the film just kind of stops. And I liked what they were going for mm-hmm. in terms of, like, let's have these little sp- like little bubbles of grace on the side as we're kind of going on this run. But it sort of does. I just think if it was if it came in under two hours, I wouldn't have minded that so much. But yeah. two and a quarter hours just seemed like, mm, come on, guys. Get, yeah, there was a mm-hmm. few times I just started to kind of tune out a little bit. I wonder, though, if that's because, like, the setup is, like, these two lovers on the run. Yeah. But the pace is languid. Like, I think mm. that they're... But it's not for the first half hour. Like, the first yeah, half hour is quite... So. Yeah. And then yeah. it just goes... And the minute they go on the run, it slows down. But, yeah. Which is interesting intellectually, but as a... As a viewer, it just kind of mm. had me a bit loosey-goosey. The other thing is there's a couple of moments in this film which didn't quite ring true to me. Um, there's a scene in the – and I don't want to spoil but there's a scene in a gas station with a gun which baffled me. It baffled oh. me as well. I was like – I was like, yeah, why actually, would yeah. you do that? And, 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 and it's almost like – talking about it afterwards, it was like – it almost like the film tries to make – Queen and Slim a little too soft at times, mm-hmm. a little too nice. Like I just think that scene would never never have gone down that way in real. I I actually feel like though it had more to do with the I suppose often these characters are at the mercy of a violent white man and I mm. think that that for me it kind of in a very you know I think it was meant to be comical in some bits but mm. then it turned Really, you know, it is sinister because yeah. they, what they've gone through. So I kind of read it more as a like a political mm. um, bit within the film. But I, I, I get that it wasn't believable. But I actually kind of, I kind of quite liked it because I was genuinely scared in that moment. Yeah, so was I. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was genuinely yeah. scared, but I'm, I'm like, you idiot! Why, why would you do that? Like, particularly mm. your experience with white, yeah. with white men. It's like, I but thought it would be yeah. the last thing he would do. 
Um, but, he, but I think that's his character. He's too trusting. Yeah, see, I think the film kind of bent it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. But I think at times the film bent itself backwards to make him like, like I just yeah. feel like more trusting than anybody in real life. Yeah, there felt like quite yeah. sort of harsh binaries it, with the characters at, at different times in the movie. Just felt a little bit like the film was tying itself up in knots mm. a little bit to yeah. get to choices like that. Yeah, there's a couple of scenes like that. There, there are a few side characters I thought... I, I did feel like, geez, if a white person wrote this, they would get heaps of flack saying that this character is a, a cliche. Mm-hmm. Um, and Are you thinking the uncle, a little bit with the uncle, a I little bit with the guy. The guy, yeah, I liked him too, <laughs> mainly because it's Bokeem Woodbine who's yeah. a terrific. That actor. was, I think, probably my favourite sequence of the film. Yeah. was when they were uh, at his house. That is a fun, yeah, a really fun sequence, and I agree. Like, yeah, mm. that is one of my favourite things too. Um, the the guy they hit with the car. Oh. Um, yeah, like there's a few characters in there I just saw. And and I don't know, and there's something that happens with a kid towards the end of the movie, which I think makes a good political point, but it doesn't quite earn. That would probably be my least favourite That bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, as well. But, um, same for me. That, that yeah, yeah, it doesn't quite pull that bit off. I yeah. agree yeah. with that. And it's just, yeah. Just <laughs> no li- spoilers. Yeah, well, yeah. Yes. Just, just, just <laughs> things like, yeah, trying best to dance around the points. But, yeah, just just a couple of things like that just took the air out of it for me. Um, because, yeah, I, I, I dug the look, the feel, the, the leads, the politics so much. And, like, yeah, even though Burkeem Woodbine in his situation was did feel a bit cliche and want it's so winningly played by yes. everyone involved yeah, that you're kind of like no I'm still on board with these mm-hmm. people um but yeah just 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 some nitpicks there but I uh, but I did enjoy the film and I do think it's worth seeing um and and I think it's it's such a a great form for this story to be told in like the, the like the plight of uh, of African Americans mm-hmm. you know being shot by police I think makes it a perfect candidate for a Thelma and Louise type setup. Yeah, mm. and yeah, and I and I was almost slightly annoyed they didn't nail it quite. They didn't stick the landing quite as much mm-hmm. as, mm. as I wanted them to. But it's but it's still a solid film. And there's lots of little nods to the western, which I really love. Yes. There's a lovely scene with the horse that I yes. oh, yeah, that's that great. quite beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> and, it's, and it's so knowing as well. Like I loved the way yeah. in which that sort of sense of um, you know these rough sort of street culture up against these like icons of mm-hmm. of western cinema. I was kind of like I thought that was really yeah. And there's a line. Beautiful. There's a great line too. It's like. I think it's from this movie. I'm sure I haven't stolen it from somewhere else. Uh, where the one character says, "You know why white oh, men Queen always, says that. yeah, white men always fear a black man on a horse? It's because they have to look up to him." Mm. That's a that's a super yeah. cool line. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, there's there's a lot of great stuff here. Yeah. And then later on, isn't I think in the protest, aren't the police on horseback then? Or am I confusing? Oh, uh, there was a lot on no, foot. They're yeah, on foot. Yeah, on foot. I can't yeah. remember. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just. Yeah, I, I I really wanted to love this, and I wound up just liking it. But you know, that's that's still yeah, it happens. It happens. <laughs> it's not a dig. It's not a diss. It's a you know. You saw too many good films. I know. Week. That's right? what it is. Yeah. <laughs> so Queen and Slim is currently screening in all good cinemas. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Triple R on FM, digital, online, and via the app. Thanks so much for being here. It means a lot. You're listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Flickford, Sally Christie, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. What's wrong with you? What do you want? What planet are you on? Eh? You two fucking idiot. Where are you going? 
I'm here for you. That's my case. Morven Keller is the second feature film from director Lynn Ramsey, a character study of the title character, played by Samantha Morton, who wakes on Christmas morning to discover that her troubled boyfriend has committed suicide, leaving behind the unpublished manuscript to his first novel and a sum of money intended to pay for his burial. Instead, Morven attempts to use both to reinvent her life. So I, I almost wanted an introduction to retros this year, like almost like a Criterion Collection thing. Like this is the primal screen, you know. It's like a collection of uh, classic and contemporary films. Of, you know. So I shouldn't pick Showgirls next week. No, right? absolutely pick Showgirls because <laughs> like it's like we're curating. I almost want to, you know, like um, I, I almost think of our retro picks as a uh, a video store shelf. You know, mm. that we've all like Sally recommends, Flick recommends, Paul recommends, um, you know, or a, or, a, or a curated label. I used to love that going into the video store. I know, store. I was thinking the same. I just so and so recommends. Yeah. And even just that thing of walking through a video store and looking at all the titles and the way in which they're sometimes grouped in these really specific creative. <laughs> my, my first job was at a video store oh, when I was Sally, 15. Course. And I got to look after the horror section and I'd group everything together. I took Aww. such pride in it. And there's so much knowledge in those spaces. I was yes. really crushed when yeah. a lot of video stores started closing down yeah. for that very reason because you get so yeah. many good recommendations. Yeah. And things grouped together. It's like, oh, I didn't think of that. And it's yeah. everything. It's the great democratic. Everything's on the same shelf next to each other. Uh-huh. You know, it's it's spine versus spine. And, and, yep. and don't you feel like I've got all this like wealth of knowledge of video, um, sorry, DVD covers? <laughs> Yeah, someone will yes. say film and I'm like, I know the cover. cover. Yeah. <laughs> I swear 40% of my film knowledge comes from that. Yeah. It comes from walking around video stores for hours as a kid and just reading <laughs> covers. And it's like, yeah, people mention a film, I've, I've heard of it. So Morvan Keller is my first retro pick for the year. Um, my partner and I did a Lynn Ramsey retrospective. Uh, we actually did a, a joint Lynn Ramsey-Jonathan Glazer retrospective at the start of the year. And we're watching them in double features, which was Amazing. Um, mind-blowing. <laughs> but this is and no less a luminary than British film critic Mark Commode has said that this is the one of, like, because Lynn Ramsey's only made four films to date. And the others are all so, all so yeah. acclaimed. Like, yeah. uh, you were never really here. We need to talk about Kevin and Ratcatcher. Mm. are so acclaimed. And Morvan Keller is the one that everybody sleeps on. Mm. I think it's her best movie. I, oof, that's a big call. I think it's. <laughs> I mean, I love her and she's one of my favourite directors easily. Like, I, all of these films, all of her films are really strong. But it's such a it's such an unusual setup, mm. and it's such a quiet film in a lot of ways. Yes. But it has so much darkness to it. I don't disagree with you, but I just I mean, you were never really here is especially like it's oh, that yeah. like knocked my socks off. I love that film, <laughs> so I'm not sure. That's why I'm shocked by your your. Last cool. night I watched this and it was the first time I've ever seen it. I've seen all of Lynn Ramsey's other films, so it's interesting that you say that, Paul. This mm-hmm. is the one that gets away because, yeah, I hadn't seen it. Yeah. And, oh, geez, it was so bloody good. Like, yeah. just phenomenal. The way that she looks at characters, so it does introspective films, is amazing. Subjective reality. Like, just mm. absolutely so incredible. I don't think anybody can do that quite like she does. She's, you know, just phenomenal at it. Um when this film started, I really got a feel of Danny Boyle's first film, Shallow Grave. Mm. Um, it really had that vibe, which I would love to do a retro of that. I love that film. Um, but I was getting Shallow Grave vibes from it. And then it went a complete different direction. So the way that she balances darkness and lightness in this film, I think, is really um, 
yeah, just simply incredible where we open up with this very, very dire scene and the way that she moves through to kind of, I guess, better her life. And just that she's such an interesting character because oh, she? she's yeah. so going through a grieving process. Do we like her? Do we feel sorry for her? Is she awful? Um, normally in a situation like this where, you know, certain things that she does... I don't know if I if I can give it away. It's a, well, it's the start uh, of the movie, so well, yeah. it, so essentially yeah. her her boyfriend commits suicide, mm-hmm. and she's left with the like I said in the intro, the uh, a manuscript he's written and a bunch of money to pay for his funeral. She decides to change the name of the manuscript to hers, and takes the money and decides to start a new life for herself. Yeah, and it's interesting when you look at if I start talking about Shallow Grave again with these three characters that do something similar in that film and they're so deeply, deeply unlikable. Mm. And she should be very deeply unlikable because of her actions in this, but she's just not. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. and also a really interesting take on a mixtape film. Oh, oh God, yes. Like, Isn't it wonderful? So And, and, and it great. fits into the narrative as well. Like Beautiful. It sets it up. And you actually, strangely enough, get a sense of the dead boyfriend yeah, you do. through the music. I thought it's that so as well. Her, his music that yep. she's listening mm. to. And I, I loved that idea. And that's actually what made her very sympathetic um, as a character, mm-hmm. I think, because often it's easy to read her actions as very callous, and and the fact that she decides to you know claim you know steal his book. Um, but I thought that the way in which she you do get a sense that she really misses him and is devastated yeah. by it, and it's especially through, the closing scene yeah. that really sort of clinches yeah. it, yeah. where you kind of go, oh, my heart, yeah. There, yeah. And there and there's so much heart in this film. I actually had this recommended to me during my undergrad and my um, film professor at the time was like, Flick, you really need to check out this film. And then I was like, yeah, 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 for, just forgot to. And yeah. then when I saw it, I was like, I cannot believe. <laughs> I have. It's, I think it was like three or four years later that I saw it. And I was like, oh, I should have seen it then. Like mm-hmm. I, I just wish that I had seen this as soon as it came out. I, it's one of my favourites of all time, easily. It, it's, it's, that's, a, that's why I wanted to spotlight it because – it's how is how is everybody sleeping on this film? Like, yeah. How does nobody like know about I, I it? I definitely it's was fantastic. Um, and also, what a soundtrack! Just as a side note, yeah, we mentioned like for, it that's briefly. the thing. If you want to be a mixtape movie, you probably want to have a really great mixtape, and this one does. Like you could use this as a mixtape mm. quite easily. Um, yeah, choosing the song that I was going to pick from this movie, there, there were so many nominees, but in the end, I mean, one the dedicated to one to the one I love is. A favourite song of mine, but also it's used so beautifully at the end with this sort of both heartbreaking and ironic mm. all at the same time. Mm. Um, there's a, I think with, I think one of the reasons is this has one of the one of the best openings I've ever seen yeah. in a film. Yep. And it's almost entirely wordless. If yeah, you're talking about something with the opening Queen Slim being gripping. This is gripping. Oh, like. Yeah, yeah. So you're instantly thrown yeah. into this. Mm-hmm. What's going on? What is this? Yeah. And this subjective reality of this character. And again, yeah, that's if Lynn Ramsey has one, like one weapon in her arsenal, it's being able to depict subjective realities. Mm-hmm. And she does it in all of her movies. Just puts you completely into her character's head mm-hmm. and experience. And she's so gifted at that. Um, I think too one reason why we like Samantha Morton, uh, Morvan Keller in this is because. There is an anger there. Mm. Like there's a rage of like, why did you kill yourself? Like why did mm. you do this to me? And part of it is that sort of using this opportunity like, screw you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have the life I want now yeah. and do this. But then also realising during the journey how much she loved him as well. Yeah. yeah. And there's there's and a lot of confusing emotions, yeah. which 
that's grief, you know, like grief and unrealized dreams and youthful exuberance because they're both so young and just pure sensation. And it's there's so much. I found it one of the most fascinating explorations of rage and reinvention I've, I've ever seen. I think also just like on that, it was so wonderful seeing this. Um, I saw it when I was a lot, well, a bit younger. And I think seeing, uh, she's probably my favorite young woman on screen. Yeah. I think that she has rage, as you said, but she's also got this real resourcefulness. Mm. And I just found her so captivating and I found it really refreshing seeing her on screen. And just Samantha Morton as an actor is amazing. But she just has this wonderful... Um, almost like kind of it looks like she's got this cold face but mm. there's actually a lot going on and as you are saying before like all those processes of grief that are just like untangled slowly throughout the film yes it's amazing yeah it's all the R's it's rage resourcefulness reinvention <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh... that's why we're on triple R <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice oh that needed a golf clap <laughs> sorry um, everyone it's basically it's Based on a novel, it's based on a uh, a bit of a cult Scottish novel by a writer named Alan Warner. Yeah, so he came sort of out in Scottish literature after, I guess, Train Spotting. Over once mm. was Train Spotting um, became you know quite big. We had this big wealth of Scottish literature come after that. And so this, yeah, it was part of that next, wave. Yep. You yep. can really see that mm-hmm. comparison there yep. as well, can't you? For sure, really dire sort of situations. I think that's kind of where a lot of like the justification of how she acts comes from that she's in this really mm. bleak situation. Mm. And I don't know, did she have um, Lynn Ramsey? I know that she was initially, I don't know if it was before she made this, she was initially going to, um, she was making The Lovely Bones into a film. And then... Oh, of course she was. She yeah. lost the rights to it and Peter Jackson made it. So that would have been before Morven Colour. What, what year was mm. Lovely Bones? Lovely Bones, I think, wound up getting out it was it was in the late. It was that two thousand seven. I think. Okay, so it was uh, yeah, we yeah. after. But um, she does. Oh my god, her doing the lovely bones. I know. I'm so sad that <laughs> film does not exist. Also, it looked like that she was also going to lose the rights of We Need to Talk About Kevin as oh. well. But thankfully, that got made because that's I I read that book before the film came. You know, she made the film, and it was like, how would you ever adapt this? And she just did such a beautiful job. She is really incredible. And- it's quite hard with adaptations because making it your own mm-hmm. as well is quite. I mean, she's obviously, um, especially with when you talk, talk about Kevin, it references. You know, it's a quite a. I don't know. It follows the book yeah. quite soundly. Mm-hmm. But um, and I haven't read actually uh, more than Keller the book, but it does make me want to read it. Yeah, because there was a thought that this this film was going to be like another train spotting. Like yes. that was the sort of the mm. the hype behind it, and then it just kind of died off. Um, I, I I like this better. I don't know. I just it just really affected me, and I've always been fascinated. I've always had a bit of a personal fascination with disappearing from your own life, mm-hmm. which is what she sort of conspires to do in this film. And I I love the way that whole process kind of takes place. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just such an intoxicating. Um, elusive kind of movie with this, yeah, with this beautiful lead performance. Mm, I love that whole thing as well with, like, scenes that feature a dance scene where you're trying to lose yourself. I'm yeah. always a big fan. <laughs> There's a lot of films like Victoria. Yeah. Um, oh, Fantastic Woman, I think, has aspects of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, that could be a subgenre. Yeah. <laughs> Another Max Headroom special. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, uh, Ramsey's one of the best filmmakers working on the planet at the moment mm-hmm. and – 
for particularly for people who have seen the other three films and have not seen this, like me, do yourself a favor. Yeah. Sally <laughs> did herself a favor. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for picking this week's retro. It was yeah, bloody great. You are more than welcome. So Morvan Keller is currently streaming on Amazon Prime Video. You are listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. We discussed Peter Strickland's In Fabric, which is now screening at selected independent cinemas. Uh, which I think we can say is primal screen approved. Yes. <laughs> Five stars. Three thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, three thumbs up. Uh, Queen and Slim now screening at all good cinemas. And our retro title, Morvan Keller, which is currently streaming on Amazon Prime. You can listen back to the show within half an hour on Triple R On Demand or check out the songs we played on the primal screen page at rrr.org.au right now. You can also subscribe to the Primal Screen podcast via iTunes or wherever else you find your favourite podcasts. And you can also find Primal Screen on Facebook. So come and give us a friend or a like or whatever damn thing there. (laughs) So next week, uh, we're still trying to work out all of the films we'll be looking at because, you know, we're not quite sure what the cinema situation will be. Yeah, things are changing daily. (laughs) Things are constantly in flux. We think maybe Happy New Year, Colin Burstyn. Uh, maybe something on Netflix. We don't know yet. Uh, who uh, will have a retro title next week from one of uh, one of you? Flick and I will fight it out yeah. after the show. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> use paper rock the yeah. Joker for, or the Joker from the Dark Knight selection process. You know, break a pull cue thrown on the ground. Whoever walks out gets the job. That's right. <laughs> I'm surprisingly strong. So. <laughs> surprisingly deaf. A dab hand with a pull, half a pull cue. But not good at pull. <laughs> <laughs> Huge thank you to Morty Osborne for editing the Primal Screen podcast. Thank you to Killer Carl Chapman for panelling the show and Lisa Kovacevic for producing our show. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. <laughs> <laughs>